Hello, welcome to At The Source. The coronavirus pandemic has rocked the UK to its core, affecting many businesses. The two that seem to have been hit hardest, though, are probably the live entertainment and hospitality industries, with bars, pubs, clubs having to completely change their processes, ways of working, and in many cases not being able to make ends meet to the point of no return. Today's guest, we shall call him Manager X, is the general manager of a busy pub in the Midlands, which is popular with both students and eaters. I won't be sharing his name or the name of the business so that he can speak candidly about his experience over the last eight months. We've known each other for a long time, and I know that his stories today will echo those of many hospitality workers across the UK. So welcome, Manager X. Thank you, Alex. Nice to be here with you. Yes, it's very nice to have you here. So... Let's go right back to the start. Rewind to March, getting ready for closure, assuming that it's coming, but not necessarily knowing. Um, Tell me what it was like at that time. So it wasn't... um for for me personally uh it wasn't um a serious situation uh for quite a while because i was reflecting on things like sars and bird flu and how they didn't cause um any issues um it was all dealt with quite quickly and that's the way in which i thought that it would uh would work out with this um and i think it's <laughs> It was it was a way of protecting myself in a way and protecting my mental health because I didn't want to um, I didn't want to get into this doom and gloom mode that we were about to be shut down and that um, and that the world would inevitably change because I don't think many people thought that that would happen at that point. Um, in terms of the business, though, like it was it was all good until probably the 16th of March, which was the day before Paddy's Day, the Tuesday. Um, and that was when things started becoming a bit serious, like customers weren't out. The um, the press had started getting uh, had started ramping up their coverage of it. And it was becoming quite a big thing at this point. And um I think that that was the point at which I I started realizing that things weren't going to be normal um, uh, for for very much longer. And then during the course of that week, um, the anxiety started heightening, and, and you could feel that something was about to happen. There was more and more restrictions in place, um, which ultimately led to Boris's announcement that we should all shut our doors. And the way in which um, it was it was all quite funny actually the weekend when it when it did happen was because um as a company we'd taken the decision to close down anyway so then we started getting all of our plans into place and then it was on the friday that it was right you need to shut your doors by the end of today um and so it was it was pretty mad like all the all the uh how how sudden it was so do you think that the government handled that situation well I think that in the beginning I I was I was a relative supporter of the government and what they were trying to do to protect us they wanted us to stay open as long as possible and at that point it felt relatively well organized with all of the daily briefings um I mean my opinion has come full circle now but um that's uh that's because of the, the various things that um, we'll talk about later on in the podcast. Um, but I, yeah, I do think that things things did change. My, my opinion changed um, as time went on. So pub closed 
and you were furloughed. What was that like? Um, briefly before we were furloughed, because the because the company has many different pubs, um, many different demographics. Some are in town centres, some are in um, quite rural locations. So um, the idea initially was to try and keep all the pubs open with a takeaway offering. Um, and then we also um, were going to do some some sort of care packages for the community as well. Um, but ultimately, where we're where we're based, um, it didn't work out. And in fact, I was I was quite ill that first weekend. Like I I come down with quite a bad viral infection, not COVID, but I yeah I was I was very ill. And on one of the I think it was the Sunday, um, I in fact just went in and slept all day because uh, the phone didn't ring. No one wanted anything and so like um i think yeah uh it was made the decision was made pretty quickly that um us and the other other pubs that were quite similar to ours to, wouldn't be able to sustain staying open so then we were all furloughed um and it all went a little bit dark in terms of like not in terms of <laughs> like um depression and things like that but i mean like the, the curtains were ultimately shut at that point and then it all kind of went very quiet as in the communication from the the owners and the company was quiet or from the government or just generally no just, one knew what was happening just generally no one knew what was happening no one knew what was going to happen next and so um we all kind of if we use a wartime uh, metaphor went into our uh, went into our Anderson shelters and uh, hid away. Did you kind of have an idea of how long it was likely to last? And were you surprised it lasted as long as it did? Um, yes. Uh, so initially I thought, oh, it'll be a month. And then it was oh, maybe, maybe another couple of weeks. And that sort of thing, that sort of mentality just continued. Uh, and I think that um, I think that it was... It was it was quite a weird time for me because I'm a very active person. I put a lot of effort into into my work and to then suddenly be faced with just sitting at home and being in my own head and being in my own space um, was quite alarming for me because it's something that like um, in, in hospitality, I don't think you get if you yeah um I, I don't think you get much time to yourself because you have to be very invested um anyway um so um after after a while after the first two weeks of sitting sitting around doing nothing watching netflix and once all the series had been completed um then that was the time that i started trying to improve myself and like look at other ways of of um spending my time um but no it it was very it was a very blanketed time um it was a very quiet time like there was um very little communication with work very little communication with um with with what the next steps would be and of course as time went on it became a bit worrying that oh my God, what will happen next? Like, how how will we ever recover from this? Because as the months went by, you start thinking about the amount of money that you're actually losing per month. Um, we went through some particularly... We, we were closed in th three of our busiest months. Um, and so that was really sort of... God, like, we're losing a lot of money here. 
Um, and um, I think that's where my personal investment in my work came in and started triggering like, oh my God, how are we ever going to get back from this? Were you in touch with some of the other general managers? Were they having similar feelings to you? Or do you think that depending on the type of hospitality business you work in and the, and where in the country you're based, that things were different? Mm-hmm. So in... in in our group, and this was something that I I highlighted to to um, our director, sorry, our uh, chief executive, um, was how open the communication was. After a while, we would have a monthly briefing where we would all get together on uh, either Microsoft Teams or uh, Zoom, and we would. Um, and they would talk very candidly about the financial position of the company. Um, and that was very reassuring to a certain point because um, luckily, like we have a lot of facilities in place um, that um, uh, that allowed us to continue the way we were. And, and we, we knew that we could keep going for quite a while. And I think that that's what kept kept morale quite high and kept... Um, because where I was speaking about how like it went a bit dark, I think that little glimmer of light every month when we would have, we'd have these briefings and we'd have these conversations then like it did feel, uh, it, it felt like that there was, there was light at the end of the tunnel, but it was a very long tunnel that we needed to get to the end of. You and I are both known with our friends and with me through the blog and the podcast for being supporters of and fans of the indies. And you have run independent bars. So now that you work in a a bigger group, do you think that in this instance that actually helped? Because, you know, so many indies have closed their doors forever because they didn't have that structure behind them that would allow them through. And I guess maybe for probably the first time, being a, for want of a better word, part of a chain has actually been beneficial. I think this was something that we all reflected on all the people that were too paid across into the into the new uh, corporate organization um, was we all said to each other, thank God we're not part of that group at this point, because I think that immediately as the doors had to shut, uh, there would have been no return. And I think that there was a certain degree of relief that we were in the position we were in, that we probably would have a job to return to. Um, we'd be able to have this furlough pay. Um, and um, in yeah, I think I think it was a massive sense of relief that we were no longer in in that independent bubble. Yeah, I guess that is a, a one positive of being part of a, a a group rather than an independent. I would like to fast forward to reopening. So we've gone from March to July. Mm. You mentioned that the business you work for has a number of pubs um, and that they chose to stage their reopening. So why was that? Um, I think it's because um, quite a few of their pubs are community led. Um, so they're in in smaller suburbs or um, more rural locations where, for want of a better uh, way of putting this, uh, that they have they have a lot more people on their doorstep with a lot less competition around them. So they are the community hub. And I think it's because they knew that they could convince people to come out and and try them out and try out all the new measures. Whereas I think because 
for us, you have to travel into the center, be that by walking or by car or, or whatever, but you have to make a journey to get to the pub. Um, I think that that was something they were a little bit worried about. Um, I mean, my pub um, is in quite a small town centre with a lot of residential uh, people around it. Um, however, there are some city locations that we have, um, which were complete ghost cities. Like there was no one there because the um, non-essential shops had still not reopened. And so it was all a little bit, oh, um, I think that we need to be a bit uh, a bit cautious with the stage, uh, with, with how we're going to reopen these pubs. Um, and we were in fact, we were, we were the first of the town city locations that actually reopened, uh, because I think that they saw the, the potential to drive custom in because of the, uh, number of people that live around the pub, um, and treat it as a, treat it as a local in a way. Um, there's a lot of people in our locality that we, we can get into the pub and we've got a very historic, um, reputation as well. So that was, um, that's something that played into our favour. Did you feel safe reopening? How was the team like? What was the atmosphere like? So I remember that there was um, we, we sat down because we had a, a post COVID operation manual that we had to make our way through and loaded loads of checklists and things, which I suppose is again the um, the pos- uh, positive of working for a much bigger company, um, not being part of an independent because they've got so much legal support and they've got all these different health and safety companies that they they had such a package of stuff that we could work through and I think that created some reassurance we sat down as a management team and we we went through everything and I think by the end we had a four-page word document of questions some of them it was like it was just a, a domino effect. So like you would start on one topic, um, which would then lead into another, a number of other questions. So yeah, we put together this document of questions and some of them we, we did just manage to like work our way through um, and find the answers ourselves because I think a lot of them were very hypothetical, long-winded questions. What was it like at the point that you opened the doors? It took us completely by surprise. So how we opened was we opened with uh, five people, um, five fronts of house and um, one chef. And how does that compare to a normal or an ideal number of staff? So at that point, we had we had six people working out of a team of 25. And how many would you on that particular day of the week that you opened, would you in normal circumstances have had on? Well, it was a Thursday. So, but if we, if we were to take into account the Friday, um, we only had um, five people on, um, including kitchen staff, where usually that would probably be eight or nine. Right. Okay. Why did you have less? Um, we forecasted that it, it wouldn't be a busy quiet. weekend. It would be a quiet weekend because people would still be very cautious and um, not many people would want to come out. Um, I suppose this is where my personal caution played a little bit um, against us because I hadn't been out. I didn't particularly want to go out to a pub or a restaurant. I was still very, not scared, but I I keep using the word caution because I I think everyone had a lot of caution like people were like mm, we we still don't know anything about this disease we don't know about how how it transmits to other people there's no cure um there's been a lot of deaths there's been uh, people um people have have been personally affected people that work at the pub um so um 
one of my managers, her grandma died of COVID. So there was a lot of like caution. Were the team worried about coming back? Yes. Uh, we, we were all very, I wouldn't say worried. I would say worried um, is is probably a little bit too strong. We, um, we, we were a little unsure of how it was all going to work. Um, I think our main worry was, was the fact that we didn't feel like we had enough people coming back to support us through all of the new measures. And I think that we felt that um, our site was being treated the same as um, smaller sites within the group, which is is something that we found quite difficult because we've got we've got two hundred covers and there's places within the group that have eighty covers, and we were expected to operate on the same number of staff. Um, our our venue is is humongous from front to back. It's uh, including the garden. It's it's huge, and all of these new positions that had been introduced like hosts and bartenders and floor people. And these were roles that had never, ever existed before. Um, and there was a lot of questions in my mind of how's this all going to work with such a, a skinny team? Um, and I think so opening that door on that first day, it, it did take us by surprise because I think on that first day we had 200 covers Um, and we, we had no idea that was going to happen. We hadn't forecasted for it. We hadn't bought in the stock for that level of people. So by the end of the Friday, we'd run out of beer. Um, So we were two days in and we'd sold almost all of our stock. And this was before the Eat Out to Help Out scheme? This was the week before. Right. So I've heard a lot about the Eat Out to Help Out scheme, kind of seeing chefs and business owners on Twitter and speaking to people that I know here in Bristol. And I actually haven't, I didn't take part in it at all. I didn't go out, but it'd be interesting to hear your perspective as someone who was managing a team on the front line, because my understanding is that actually from the hospitality side, it was generally not a popular scheme. So what was your experience? So again, I think because we'd only just reopened, I think that we were still unsure of how things were going to go. If if we just because we just reopened, that that was the reason why we were so popular, and that's the reason why everyone came out because they'd missed us and they just wanted to get their fix um, in that first weekend. But what actually transpired was that we we were still. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we we were packed every single day of the week. And um, the first two weeks of Eat Out to help out because um, th- this is one of the downsides, downsides of working for a large corporation is that um, you have to justify, justify your staff spend against how much money you plan to make. So there's no room for saying, well, I think that we'll have a lot of people in, but I don't want to write it down on paper because then you feel like you're setting yourself up for a fail. Um, I think that's where my independent mentality came in. So I wasn't allowed to bring back any more staff because I couldn't confidently say this will happen. Um, And so for the first week, it was awful. I think it was the Wednesday, I think we, we refunded about £800 worth of uh, of sales wow. uh, just because we we took the decision that we, we couldn't we, we couldn't feed that, that number of people. Um, we had to go up to people and say, 
you've placed your order, but you'll probably get it about midnight. And so this was this was terrible. And um, it filled us with such stress. And it, it became really hard to go to work on those days because you knew that I'm going to get battered today. I'm going to get abused. I'm going to get shouted at. I'm going to get uh, customers um, who still want the world for half price but you're also dealing with the people that wouldn't necessarily come into your business anyway I was going to ask that if it was your usual clientele I'd say it's about half and half right um, and it's also the way in which people spoke to you when they're booking a table as well that's what I found really difficult was because on the days you were being absolutely battered by um, by rude people um, you're also being battered by the fact you only had three people on to deal with 200 covers and you were dealing with the fact that we, we, we couldn't buy in the stock because we hadn't forecasted for that amount of money to be made. So we were running out of items. It must have been really hard for your kitchen team. Oh, absolutely. Uh, because on, on the first couple of days we were doing it with one chef and they were working about 14 hours a day wow. by themselves and trying to churn out um all of this food um and what was also devastating there was a lot of things that devastated me about eat out to help her one of the biggest things and one of the things that i am a big advocate for is waste people were ordering an item a side and then something else because of the price because of the price just because they could just because they could they were ordering their table would be full like a table of two would have probably six to seven items on their table wow and the the I'm weight wow a lot. <laughs> the weight of the bags of, of rubbish at the end of the night it was devastating and also i imagine for the chef because you know the the sign of a great pub or restaurant chef is being able to be lean with their products and with their produce and kind of keeping a really strong GP. And I can imagine that if they're just cooking all this food and then seeing it come back on the plates, that that's not what any chef wants to see. Um, so I think, I think the, the fact that people were, um, it wasn't our usual customers. It, it, um, it wasn't our usual customer base. Um, it was people that were coming in for, solely for eat out to help her and like even answering the phone to bookings it uh, you'd be like hi uh how can i help and people be like doing eat out to help her like this and being really like very um not no hellos no no politeness and that's another thing like there was no politeness about eat out to help her that was my next question are there any were there any positives for you? The idea behind the Eat Out to Help Out scheme was to drive people back into pubs. And I I honestly don't think that we drove anyone into our pubs. I think that perhaps we drove them away because that first two weeks we were slated on TripAdvisor, Facebook, Google reviews. Um, there was just so much hatred not only for our place, but quite a lot of places. Like everyone was being slated all over, all over the shop. And um, it was when I started seeing Facebook posts from chefs that I didn't even know, or like people that I didn't even know that were being shared around um, with all the horror stories. Like it just felt like this scheme was not very well thought out. Um, and yeah, it just, it just didn't seem 
it, it didn't seem like it had been it had been particularly well thought out. And then um, the halfway through the month, there was a, a chef uh, a shared post on Facebook from a chef um, raising money for Samaritans, and so I donated because like it just felt like we were all in the same boat, and we needed to support these organisations that were like trying to help us. Um, and I think the long term sustainability of of this idea was also not there because everyone comes out each year in August, um, everyone works flat out, but then they have to go back on furlough because in September there's no government help anymore. Mm. And it was it just it just didn't feel like a long term sustainable plan. Um, and then of course the icing on the cake was the last day of Eat Out to help out was Bank Holiday Monday, and. Uh, luckily by that point we got to a point where we we knew that we had to staff to the hill we knew we needed to get loads of ingredients in um but it was it was a very very long day mm. um and it, because everyone was out um it was like where whereas in, in other days on eat out help it'd be predominantly the last three hours of service between six and nine it was all day it was non-stop between 12 and nine and we we i think we did about four 150 covers that day if you'd have had a choice of how to do this had you been allowed to run things your own way what do you think you'd have done that's a really hard question um (laughs) (laughs) because um in some respects i think that i would have been the same i wouldn't have known that the scheme would be that successful yeah i i think that i would have made the first mistakes in that first couple of days um I mean, hindsight's a wonderful thing. And um, I think what you're asking is that, like, what would I do if it was my own business? Um, and I, I, because I treat my business like it is my own business, um, I think I dealt with it in the way that I would have done anyway. I probably would have changed changed the way in which we did it. Yeah, I think I think I would I would have I would have put a stop on the number of people coming in and out. I think that it was the want to impress people um, above me um, that I, I wanted to push more and more people into the business, and that that's my fault. Um, but um, I think that if it was my own, I potentially would have been thinking less about sales and more about the reputation of the business and probably would have put a stop on the number of people coming in. So it's October and the Eat Out to Help Out scheme has long gone. Um, but a lot of places do still seem to be offering a kind of scheme of their own or um, extended discounts um, to try and continue getting in the diners and the drinkers that they had back then in August. So. Are you doing something similar with your venue? So we're still offering um, Eat Out to Help Out. We're only doing it on two days a week, um, which is a Monday and a Tuesday. Um, so it's, but, but it's taken away the soft drink element because it was 50% off food and soft drinks was how the government had it up to the value of £10 per person. However, we're doing it Monday and Tuesday, 10% off your, sorry, 50% off your food up to the value of £10 um, per person Um but yeah, and we we have seen like it's not as popular because of course you haven't got the national press coverage. You you aren't using that in your marketing strategy. You're fully relying on uh, your team to drive it on social media, on Facebook, Instagram. Um, you're not. We're not getting as much footfall. We're still getting quite quite a few people through the doors and um it's it's very successful uh, but it's not as successful as it would have been if it was a national continuation of the scheme and do you find that your pub is busier on those two days of the week no i would say that it, it at the minute 
um, we are experiencing. I'd say that Thursday and Sundays are our least busy days. I think because because the business is is trying to evolve and trying to get back to where it was before. We're trying to find a sustainable way of running our business because that that's another thing um, that I think they found in their other sites uh, within my group was that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday you'd be working flat out. And then no one would come out for the rest of the week. Oh, that's uh, interesting because that's a complete reversal on old times. And has the clientele shifted or are you still getting these new people who just want the discounts or is it your old clients, client, that's a weird word to say, is it your old customers coming back? Something that took us by surprise was that um, there was an awful lot of students back uh, in August so August is usually our quietest month because the town is dead. The university workers choose that time to go away on holiday. There aren't any students around, but we found that there was more stu- there was more students than that ever been in the town during August, and they were they were all coming out. I think it was because they'd been locked in their cells in their parents' homes for four months, and they were like, "I really need to get out." So they and they had their university accommodation; they were paying for it anyway. So they were like, "Let's just go back." Um, we we had a we had a lot of people coming during that point, and there was a lot of returning students that we'd seen in previous years. But I'd say that we like we have we have got the odd one or two groups that weren't regulars before, but are now. That's a positive. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and another thing that's quite positive is that, um, with our new systems, everything. So even before the government put the table service rule into place, we were, we were solely table service. There was no bar service whatsoever and everyone orders on an app. And what we've found is that people's drinking habits have changed. People are going for more premium products and it's, it's a bit like when you go on, um, Amazon or like you're doing a bit of online shopping, I think people have less of a of a concept of of the amount they're spending. They're more click happy. More click happy, absolutely. Again, it's quite interesting the way that this conversation has gone because yet again, that is also a benefit of being part of a bigger group that they've got the funds and the ability to have an app because actually with the, the government rule for table service, that makes it feels safer for your staff and your customers that you're not having to constantly be going up to the table, taking their orders, walking away, coming up, you're coming up to their table once with the tray of drinks. Mm. And I never really thought that I'd be saying that, but that is another benefit of being part of a larger organization. Absolutely. So something that, um, something that is really positive is that when we reopened, it was a positive and a negative because it was a lot to deal with all in one go, but we, we had a new, a new payment system, a new online ordering system. We had a new booking system. So we had all of these systems mm-hmm. and like all of these new logins and um, creating passwords that were too too weak for one website, but just about right for another and um, setting all of that up and getting all your tables onto these systems on like a very limited training schedule. Like it was, here's a system go with it and so i think that that was really hard but luckily for my my brain like i can can get used to these sort of things quite quickly um but yeah we we found that people are booking in advance 
a lot more because we had a little A5 diary before that we used to scribble like the odd one or two bookings that we would get. We're now facing 300 people booking in advance on a Saturday. It's a really odd vision to imagine that you would book a table to go to your local pub Mm. because that's just something that was never part of the psyche of going to your local. Mm. You just rock up, you have a pint, you have 10 pints and you go. You, um, You wouldn't book a table even for food, you know, um, when the pub that you manage was independent still, and I used to go there quite a lot, you would just say, oh, do we fancy, I don't know, do you fancy something quick or nice for dinner, like a treat? Oh, we'll just go down to the bleep and we'll, we'll order whatever. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think this is this is a big thing is that um, we've now become a destination because at the beginning you mentioned about the, the demise of the music industry as well. Mm. So there aren't any clubs, there aren't any post pub places. So the uh, the fact that there's nowhere to go now after you go to the pub, and particularly now with the ten o'clock rule, what we're finding is that we are a destination. So people will stay with us from 4pm until 10pm. And it will be as if they've been with us from 8pm till 11pm and then gone on to a club afterwards. So they're squeezing their drinking time into a much smaller, condensed time frame, which is a benefit to us because the spend per head is going up. And I mean, like, it can... We've, we've had the odd occasion where people have... Because they're ordering on an app, you, it's not that contact where you can go. Sorry, mate, not today. Like, you've had you've had, one had too them. Many. Yeah, you you can't do that. Um, and so I think that that's that, that's that's a slight negative. But I think as long as you've got a good team on that can spot that and can we can block off tables or say if you get an order through for table twenty six, don't make it because they're bad enough. And I've told them. Is the ten pm curfew a good idea? There are a lot of businesses that are trying to get that removed right now i'm not a big supporter of or i'm not actively supporting the hashtag cancel the curfew but it is something that i believe in because all i think that that's done is is funnel people out into the open where they can do what the hell they like and it's it was very apparent that people are doing whatever they like once they leave um i was driving home from work a couple of weeks ago and i passed sainsbury's to go tesco's express and the queues of people outside of these places um is mad they're Um, buying alcohol to take home absolutely so what they've now done is they've funneled people from sitting very far apart from each other and being very responsible to then put them into a Tesco Express, a tiny little Tesco Express where they're all crammed down the alcohol aisle, snatching away all the Lambrini. Like it's all gone. I think think for a lot of people and not just hospitality workers, this rule is balmy, um, quite frankly. So why aren't you publicly saying that you support this? I don't know, um, um, because I haven't had a chance to. I mean, it's only been in the last week or so that um, it's become a lot more vocal on on Facebook. Um, I am a very, just despite what this recording might suggest, I'm quite a quiet person and I don't like being very outspoken. I don't like campaigning all over Facebook and and whatever else. Um, There was at one point, actually, I I did do... Um, something that I've never ever done before and I was during Eat Out to Help Out I did write um, a post about my experiences of the Eat Out to Help Out scheme and 
um that was that's something that i'd never done and that that's why i'm perhaps not um not getting in there and lobbying for cancel cancel the curfew because i like having my own beliefs but i i don't spread them out there i i know that sounds a bit weird but I, I don't like going on facebook i don't like going on twitter i don't like going on instagram um i'm i'm someone that follows the rules quite diligently and just gets on with it and i think in my in my bubble in my work i've just found ways of working around it um rather than spending time on putting hashtags everywhere um i'd spend that time trying to invent new ways of getting customers into the business in the hours that i've got um i don't think that um lobbying on facebook and instagram and wherever else is actually going to change the government's mind anyway and i think that's my mindset is that it's not going to change that's quite sad actually but i think you're probably right because there's been so many things in the early days of the coronavirus when i was recording the the panel chats with the coronavirus and food series there were people from all different parts of the food and drink industry so farmers chefs and everyone was kind of saying you know we we are just doing the best we can with the circumstances and in a lot of cases the notice has been minimal the instructions from above have been minimal but everybody still has to get up and go to work and and make the best of it that they can finally this is my last question i promise at the end of october so this month, the furlough scheme will officially end, the, the general furlough scheme, and lots more people are likely to lose their jobs. What are your thoughts on how trade will change um, and the way in which people will use their kind of leisure time money? I think this is something that's um, really hard to answer because at the end of August, I said, oh, it's going to go quiet next month, next week. And I forecasted to that we'd lose a lot of sales. So I didn't put many stuff on for that first week. And in fact, it was completely the opposite. Like Christmas. It like Christmas. And every single week since then, we have grown and grown and grown. And with Freshers in the past couple of weeks, we've hosted a couple of socially distant, distanced music events where they just sit down at a table and you'd be surprised we sold out of both events within 25 minutes, 150 tickets. Um, And we've grown on that premise that we've got a sustainable start of the week trade with the ETA to help out. We've got a student event, so on a Thursday, one would usually be quieter. But we're also seeing Fridays and Saturdays being particularly busy as well. So the only time that I feel in the week where it could get quieter is potentially on those, those Monday and Tuesdays. Um, but it's it's really, really hard at the moment to to think about how how things will change because people haven't been spending their money for four months. So there'll be some people in a quite fortunate position, particularly youngsters, that they have li- they live at home. Um, they may have been receiving some furlough payment. Um, so they've just saved that. They've sat on it um, and that they will continue to spend the way in which they have. But I don't know. It, it's it's very interesting to think about people's disposable income and um, how much people will have to spend on um 
these sort of experiences because we have a lot of customers that will come in three to four times a week. Will that turn into three to four times a month or three to four times every couple of months? Um, but at the moment, because everything has been so unpredictable, it's just who knows what's next. <laughs> I do wonder what will happen at Christmas because one of the things that that you do very well in, at your pub is big Christmas parties, offices, students, big groups. Mm -hmm. And in theory, I'm fairly sure the rule of six will still be in place. Yes. And that's going to change things for you. Yeah, it's, I, I've had conversations with people that work in other chains and they've said that um, where they usually have a Christmas coordinator that role has gone this year because the people that book in March for Christmas uh, for 60, 70 people tables, um, they've now rung up and reduced it down to five um, because there's only five people that work in the office at that moment and they don't envisage being able to bring everyone together for Christmas. And also from a kind of corporate world, I guess like the office dweller world that I inhabit Monday to Friday, all of the benefits are being cut because almost every company I know and every friend I know who works in an office is seeing cuts, redundancies, pay freezes, in some cases pay cuts. You know, Christmas party is just is just a nice sprinkle on top. It's not a necessary part of your working life. Well, I think this podcast has probably been quite certainly quite hard for you to share some of those experiences but also probably quite a tough listen thank you so much manager x for sharing your experiences with me today i think that they probably resonate with a lot of our listeners and it's nice to have had that bit of insight into the the other side behind the curtain of what it's like to be running a pub during this time um i hope that things get easier and you can take your foot off the pressure pedal a little bit and start to have more time for yourself and and your staff i hope that morale picks up but that you continue with the trade so yeah thank you very much no thank you very much for giving me this opportunity <laughs>